0: I'd like to invite you along the Camino with me. I'm Holly Brock and welcome to the playful ponderings of my particular pilgrimage along the Camino de Santiago. The wall is set in the town of Viana And for those of you who have walked the Camino de Santiago French way, you might be able to picture the town square and church of Viana perfectly. Maybe some of you even noticed the contrast between those two that I try to describe here. I hope no offense is taken because my real point is they are both very important. Now, the wall. It was a beautiful night in Viana. The following day, I would walk through Legroño, the second large city of five, along this pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela, the French way. But until then, I'm wandering the streets of a quaint village nestled in a hillside. I have found my place to stay, have showered, and will think about dinner soon. For now, I sit on the steps of the town cathedral waiting for the pilgrim's mass that is offered here this evening. I have made a vow to take every mass specifically offered to pilgrims. I'm sitting on the steps of the church, which double as the steps of the town square. The church courtyard and the square are perfectly adjacent, blending and bleeding into each other. I notice they even share a wall. The cathedral exists as the town's hub. Yet the cathedral was placed here because of the town, which begs the age old question, which came first, the chicken or the egg? But that's beside the point. Plus it stirs up my appetite. So I try to think about something else. I'm about to eat my shoe. I am so hungry. It makes me recall an amazing Buddhist monastery that I visited in the Kashmiri region of Northern India. It was so very remote so different from this cathedral. It was so very isolated, sitting 12,000 feet high in some very rugged mountains. In contrast to the church in Bayana, its primary purpose was not to be a place available to the masses. I remember driving up to it on rough and precarious roads, through remote valleys and along steep mountainsides, thinking, these roads are terrifying I can't believe that the effort and expense of building and maintaining these roads was worth building the monastery way up here. And then, as every aha moment makes its appearance, I realize, whoa, I had it backwards. This road wasn't built to facilitate the construction of this monastery. It was built after the monastery was, as a feeble attempt to make it accessible by car. Astounding. My attention is brought from the Far East back to the Iberian Peninsula and that little town in northern Spain. My attention is brought back by the life force, the sensual buzz that the town square emanates. My senses are overwhelmed by the smell of baking bread, the sound of music playing out of a nearby window, the cool stone on which I rest, and the evening sun on my face, People are calling to each other, meeting, hugging, eating, talking. Kids are racing around on bikes. One nine-ish-year-old girl is riding some kind of battery-operated toy vehicle, zipping through clusters of people, hair flying, and thoroughly enjoying being the envy of the town, or at least of the town square. I see a group of older men and women, the true elders of the town, no doubt, gathered at some tables on the far side. I'm guessing they gather here most nights and wonder how many hundreds of nights they have gathered just there. There's a fountain off to the side and some kind of stage. The flagstones that paved the courtyard have over time become imperfectly level, but remain perfectly substantial. There are all kinds of people here. I guess that that lady is the town floozy and there's the town nerd with glasses and an armful of books I love nerds, by the way. And coming through with his shirt, mostly undone, has to be the town's macho man. At one table, there is what appears to be a mentally challenged young adult with his father. Just in front of me, a young teen comes to greet his grandmother. Like a well-rehearsed dance that they know by heart, I see him kiss her on each cheek and see her deftly slip some money into his pocket. There are a hundred or a thousand other details and rhythms and interactions and conversation and hopes and dreams buzzing in this town square. So much, so much life. Something catches my eye and I lean forward and look to my right and see him. Did he just show up or had he been there all along? Jesus is leaning against the shared wall of the square and the church He is chatting with some teenagers whose rambunctiousness I'm imagining got them kicked out of their homes and told not to come back till dinner. Yet now I notice a little group of dolled up girls perched nearby. Ah, the method in those young men's madness. But they are not paying attention to the girls right now because Jesus is no doubt telling them one of his stories. I see in their faces both the playfulness of youth and the seriousness of men. Jesus can somehow call forth both. I am startled by the church bells tolling. They ring across the square and reverberate through the whole town, inviting all to mass. I tear my eyes away and make my way toward the church, hoping Jesus and many of the people in that town square will soon follow. Two older women walk arm in arm in front of me and pass through the arched doors. As I walk inside the cathedral, I am again overwhelmed by my senses. It is as if I have walked through a time warp into the deep history held there. All of my senses register old. I see the interior of the cathedral old. I smell the stale air old. I sit on a creaky bench old. I see the gray-haired priest, old. I hear the voices of the participants in the responsive reading, old. This moment seems to sit in stark contrast with the town square, just outside those doors. The ancient stillness in here and the vibrant energy out there, just on the other side of this wall. A part of me rebels and I want to run back out into the fresh evening air, back into what seems more alive. Yet I do not rise because I see him a few rows up. He must have slipped in just after me. Why is Jesus here? The person I would say is the most alive of anyone I know, maybe even the very embodiment of life. So why is he here in this place which feels so unalive, so death-like even? But I am fixed here, held in place like a ship whose anchor has hooked onto something substantial deep in the sea beneath her. I am invited here to experience something about the bustling life going on just out there on the other side of that wall. I am being invited to see how death can impact life. A wave of comprehension rushes upon me and tests the steadfastness of my anchor, It dawns on me that, in fact, I am here exactly to partake, not of life, but of death. Mass, they say, is the very flesh and blood of Jesus. The only way that Jesus can offer his flesh and blood is to die. It is the way to life, but it can only be given by means of death. Now, I rail against the chain of my anchor, wanting to run because I know what happens next and I do not want Jesus to die. He stands before me now. I look into his eyes. They are teary, but very, very determined. He looks into me and I begin to weep because I see the deep love he has for me. He smiles. He spreads his arms out from his sides. And I watch as now he is hung as a cross on the wall. It is the very wall where just on the other side sits the town square. We are all weeping together as he is held on that wall. His blood runs down his side and into the cup that the priest holds and now holds out to me. And I drink it because Jesus has offered this to me. He is dying so that I can live. I know I'm a new creature, but perhaps even better than new, I'm renewed. I see the mystery that a life that has been renewed has experienced something sweeter than a life that has never needed it. We don't need renewing until we need it. And we need it when we taste of the suffering, loss, and dying that is involved in life. The taste of death is, And the subsequent experience of renewal has the ability to wake life up to itself. And now life knows it's alive and knows how precious it is. Roar defines a mystery, not as something that can't be understood, but as something that can be infinitely understood. This is definitely in that category. Life is full of mystery. That reunion is sweeter than never knowing separation that there is no other way than through the suffering of separation to know the sweetness of reunion. You can't fake a reunion. You have to suffer through the separation first. And here's one that might bake your noodle and also make you rethink what you know about the character of God. Could it be that God knew all along that reconciliation is more powerful than innocence? But let us decide for ourselves. Our fall and consequent activation of shame made us pull away from God and then begin to fend for ourselves. All manner of havoc has been spawned from that moment of being separated from our source. So much that we long for reconciliation with our maker. And when it comes, the one who experiences reconciliation has partaken of a much sweeter gift than what she could have known by remaining innocent. Could God love us that much to let a long, often painful story play out because he knows this ending is the most epic one and worth waiting for? Can it be? I walk back out into the evening air and lean against that shared wall. I picture how it creates a foundation for both the cathedral and the town square. They seem to sit in contrast sometimes, to be telling different stories, but maybe it's all part of the same. They are not separate at all. They are leaning on, leaning toward something more. Like this wall isn't separating, but connecting these two realities, making them part of the same bigger story. This is why the church and the square should share a wall. They need each other. We do too. There will come a time you'll see with no more tears and love will not break your heart, but dismiss your fears. Get over your hill and see what you find there with grace in your heart and flowers in your hair. That's by Mumford & Sons in the song, After the Storm.